Welcome to another edition of Come Receive the Light. Today we're entering the world of fantasy, a world that in the mind of one writer is a place where the gospel can be shared uniquely, uh, effectively, and especially creatively. There's one quote that kind of drives me when I'm thinking about what I'm doing, when I have dark moments where I feel like I can't do it anymore. And that's a quote by a Protestant writer named Madeline Langle. She said, uh, we don't draw people to Christ by telling them how wrong they are and by telling them how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all the core of their being to know the source of that light. So even if I'm writing about you know, fairy tale characters in extremely fantastical circumstances, ultimately what I would like people to see is a kind of glimmer of that ultimate truth that we're all searching for. For centuries, some will argue for millennia, writers have used the tool of fantasy in their work to communicate fantastic messages. Someone has said that imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited to all we know and understand, while imagination, well, it embraces the entire world and all there will ever be to know and understand. And is fantasy just for children? Well, here's what C.S. Lewis wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia. One day you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. <laughs> the places we can go through the words of others is absolutely amazing, isn't it? Regardless of the style of writing or the genre. But when we enter the world of fantasy, well, that's when our minds can really be set free to think beyond the bounds of the places and the people and the experiences we know. And as our guest will explain today, it can also be a creative field where the seeds of the gospel can be successfully sown. Again, thank you for joining us on this edition of Come Receive the Light. I'm Mike Trout. Our host is Father Christopher Metropolis. He's the founder of this ministry and also the president of Hellenic College and Holy Cross Orthodox School of Theology in Brookline, Massachusetts. And just a quick reminder, we are a nonprofit outreach. That means we depend upon the financial support of people just like yourself. You can give safely when you go to the website for the ministry at myocn.net. That's myocn.net. And now with today's conversation, here's Father Chris. Nicholas Kotar is the author of Song of Siren, the first epic fantasy inspired by Russian fairy tales. He also writes blogs, book reviews, and his translations can be found on his website, nicholaskotar.com. Nicholas is also the resident conductor of the Holy Trinity Monastery and Seminary Choir in Jordanville, New York. On his website, you can also find recordings of sacred music, released by the choir, and published by Holy Trinity Publication. Welcome to the program, Nicholas. Thank you, Father. It's an honor to be here. Let me ask you, first of all, what inspired you to write the Song of Siren? And do tell us what happened to you as a writer and a person in the process of creating that work. Well, it's, uh, it's quite a story uh, in and of itself. Um, I don't properly remember the first moment of creation, if I'm completely honest. The, the reason is that I was on a flight. Uh, I was on my way to a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and I had a 13-hour layover in Amsterdam airport. Hmm. And I was extremely sleep-deprived on my third cup of coffee, and <laughs> I, just, I just remember suddenly uh, opening up my notebook and writing this scene that just came out of nowhere um, about 
uh, a young man who was searching and restless and very much like I was at that time. <laughs> uh, this was about 10 years ago. Uh, and suddenly this person, uh, this character in the story, is, is his world is uh, uh, kind of interrupted by the appearance of some slightly semi-divine creature called the Syrian. Hmm. And uh, it went from there. It went from there. Uh, I The pilgrimage lasted three weeks, and um, it was a very, obviously, very moving experience to see all those places that, you know, we read about and, and that we reenact in some sense uh, in the liturgical cycle. When I got when I got back, um, I wanted to somehow memorialize the experience, and I knew that a lot of people had had written sort of journal entries uh, during the trip, and I had as well. I had about hundred pages of journal entries, but I couldn't uh, transcribe them. It, it didn't give uh, a proper sense of the importance of the uh, process to me. So I started to retell the story of my pilgrimage um, as a fairy tale. It, uh, it ended up taking on a life of its own. The, the pilgrimage account kind of eventually just went uh, to the side and the story just started to come out by itself. And those few years after the pilgrimage, they were uh, very rich. There was a lot of travels. Um, I went to Romania several times um, on, a, on a pilgrimage to Alaska, to Russia, to Mount Athos. And all these places had left, left a very, very sort of strong stamp on me. Um, in terms of the experience of being in those places, but also the places themselves, how beautiful and how different and how exotic they were. And all of that started to kind of bubble in, in my head uh, and started to appear on the page in a kind of transmuted form. Uh, finally, I had a very painful uh, personal experience, a breakup with, uh, with my fiancé, um, very, very unpleasant uh, breakup for, for both families. And the only thing that got me through the difficult, uh, emotional difficulties of the time was sitting down uh, at a desk with a piece of paper and a pen and writing it, writing it all out. So although none of that breakup is actually in the story, mm -hmm. writing the story helped me to kind of get out of myself and kind of make sense of the whole process. So um, that, and eventually, uh, a few months after the breakup, I had a complete work. I, I wrote like crazy. I wrote several thousand words a day, and, and suddenly I had this completed work in front of me. Amazing. Uh, it, yeah, it was terrible, <laughs> but it was the first draft. And, uh, um, well, they say out of, out of uh, tragedy, many times comes some of the greatest work in art. I mean, I want to ask you a question, because we're using the term fairy tale. So yeah. explain to me what you mean by a fairy tale, because these are real stories, these are real issues, going to Athos, going to Jerusalem, these are real experiences that have real implications for Orthodox Christians. But you use the term fairy tale in there. And let me ask you why you do that. Well, this is entirely on purpose. Um, I grew up with Russian fairy tales, first of all. They were very much uh, formative for my uh, kind of aesthetic sensibilities and my, my sense of self. Mm -hmm. But more, when I got older and started to get into the classic fantasy genre, things like the Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia, um, I started to. I was so in love with the with the work that I started to read uh, more scholarly works by those writers. Mm -hmm. In particular, Tolkien has a, has an incredible essay called "On Fairy Stories," where he talks about the tropes of fairy tales, the kind of repeating patterns, the recognizable patterns in fairy tales that appear again and again in different cultures, are actually a vehicle, a very effective vehicle for transmitting um, difficult truth. 
Uh, and for him, um, writing The Lord of the Rings in particular was, although he, he would never admit it to be a kind of allegory of the 20th century, but in a sense was his way of dealing with the horrors of the world wars in, an, in a mythical and um, epic way, and in a way that was able to explain certain truths about the human condition, certain truths about the human heart, that perhaps we're, we've gotten too used to hearing in realistic fiction. Okay. So what ends up happening, and actually what's interesting is that there are certain um, studies, recent studies, that suggest that uh, good stories tend to bypass kind of the rational parts of the brain, mm-hmm. and they start access, not so much the subconscious, but a kind of uh, level of consciousness that doesn't, that isn't immediately stopped by the rational brain and immediately deconstructed. People are more receptive to eternal truths being told in a, in a kind of mythical or fairy tale style because they don't even realize that that's what's happening. They don't realize mm-hmm. that they're being told something profound. They just think they're being told a good story. Oh, that's very um, interesting. No, that's very interesting. It is, yeah. But at the same time, I'm, I don't want to make it sound like this is a, an avenue for brainwashing or anything like no, that. No, no, no. But I'm... What I'm suggesting is that uh, the sometimes difficult truths about about faith, about love, about what it means to be human, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're very difficult to talk about in any any form of literature. But the fairy tale gets at them in ways that are um, sort of intrinsic to the human heart, okay. um, and that's why that's why I write in that way. All right. So you feel that this method or this avenue uh, of using fairy tale continues then to be relevant for our times, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for our time, I think, because, I mean, maybe in the 19th century, in the, the heyday of realistic fiction, when you had writers like Dostoevsky, like Tolstoy in Russia, or, or uh, Dickens in, in England, and, and Nathaniel Hawthorne and his like in the U.S., everybody read realistic fiction, and people's lives were definitely affected by that kind of fiction. But mm-hmm. nowadays, um, it's really not... It's not the uh, realistic fiction that tends to move people as much as as really sort of fantastical stories, um, and I find that true. Um, I find that true in a lot of different avenues, and I think that's because people have been um, sort of conditioned to know when they're being preached at, <laughs> mm-hmm. and if they're preached at in a realistic story that's set in a realistic world, they'll be like, okay, I know what this author's talking about, even if even if they don't, they automatically have these responses and these preconditioned attitudes towards certain uh, certain ways of, of uh, speaking that the author might be trying out on them. So that's why Christian fiction doesn't tend to work for anybody except for Christians. Right? Well, then, in, the, in the line of that, let me ask you this then, uh, because you have been brought up with a certain Russian collective unconsciousness. Now, is that with these fairy tales, with these stories, does one have to have your background in order to be able to understand what you're writing as well? No, of course not. No. It would be pretty, really pretty useless <laughs> if I was writing for people who had been raised like me, because it'd be a very, very small, <laughs> small circle of readers. Okay. Uh, um, I mean, if if you have any uh, pre-existing knowledge about Russian culture, Russian history, and Russian fairy tales, then you'll you'll understand some of the subtext, and there there will be certain little, I guess you'd call them Easter eggs that you will appreciate. Mm-hmm. But I don't write for an audience. Um, that grew up like I did. Okay. I write for a general audience, for people who are interested in the kinds of stories that, that delve into, into difficult topics, but do it in a fantastical mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you read some of the reviews that have already come out on Amazon, that's, that's one of the under, sort of the repeated, uh, one of the repeating 
uh, themes is that people say, I don't know Russian fairy tales very well, but I really enjoyed this story. I got um, it. I got it. Okay. Um, I have another question for you. I'm, I'm loaded with questions on this, but let me ask you this one. Um, is there a difference between the so-called pre-Christian fairy tale and the post-Christian fairy tale in Russia? And if there is, is there a difference to it? Well, it's an interesting question because fa fairy tales, they're almost entirely uh, rooted in, in ancient Russian paganism. Hmm. Uh, the, um, and it's hard. It's, I mean, yes, there are post-Christian uh, fairy tales, but even the, even the ones that have explicit religious imagery or have priests or have, uh, you know, uh, Prince Vladimir the Baptizer as one of the main characters, for example, they are still rooted in, in stories that have been told way, way before the Christianization of Russia. Uh, and that's very interesting because um, as there's a Russian philosopher, immigrant philosopher of the 20th century named Ivan Ilyin, who's one of my personal favorites, uh, he, he has uh, written about this extensively. And he suggests that the fairy tale is the kind of uh, repository of everything uh, pre-Christian that Russia lost. Hmm. Uh, because the, uh, the baptism of Russia was, a, was an event that, that almost completely reshaped the culture of pre-Christian pagan Russia. And the only thing that seems to have survived is the fairy tale. Now, that's not to say that fairy tales, let's say, shouldn't be read because they're pagan and dangerous for you. Actually, what you see in these fairy tales is something that the church does very well. And that's take an existing cultural um, paradigm and, and slowly, quietly infuse it, uh, or even sanctify it, you might say, with new and Christian content. Um, so you have... You know, you have uh, ancient warriors who come very much from the pagan world who are battling, you know, um, large, huge serpents who are basically the same, the same thing as the serpent in the, in the legend of, of St. George, uh, for example. So you have, it's basically what you're seeing is, is, the, is right in front of you, the cultural transition from the pagan world to the new Christian world and the, the sort of sanctification of the old by the new without sort of uh, completely erasing the old. It still preserves the kind of savage, um, primordial beauty um, that, is, that is present um, in, in the pagan worldview and in the pagan stories, but it gives them new content, new kind of s s sanctified content. And actually Tolkien writes about this um, as well, and not about the Russian fairy tales, but uh, he has this famous um, lecture that he, gives, that he gave called The Monsters and the Critics, where he talks about Beowulf, as being a similar kind of work, where the author of Beowulf was a Christian, but he was writing about a pagan world that was fading away and slowly being replaced by a brand new culture. And he's simultaneously celebrating the beauty of the old, and yet recognizing that the old had to, had to leave, and the Christian had to come in and bring it new and, and exalted content. So very that's good. a very convoluted to your simple question, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's good, that's good. Um, let me ask you this question. If you know, usually when we write, we want something, someone to take something from this. So uh, what are you hoping your readers will take away from this first piece? Well, um, first of all, I just hope that they're uh, entertained. I mean, any, any writer hopes that the reader has a, has a pleasant experience writing. Otherwise, it's not literature. It's, it's uh, you know, a sermon. <laughs> mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, I am writing consciously in a tradition kind of a, of Christian humanism that tries to um, show certain truths about the way we see the world, but in a way that won't be preachy, in a way that won't be offensive, in a way that will um, highlight the beauty of how we see the world. 
Um, and really, there's one quote that kind of drives me um, when I'm thinking about what I'm doing, when I have dark moments where I feel like I can't do it anymore. And it's a quote by a Protestant writer named Mal Madeline Langle, who's famous for writing um, young adult fantasy like uh, A Wrinkle in Time and, and other very, very good books. She said, uh, we don't draw people to Christ by telling them how wrong they are and by telling them how right we are, hmm. but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all the core of their being to know the source of that light. So even if I'm writing about, you know, uh, fairy tale characters and extremely fantastical circumstances, ultimately what I would like people to see is a kind of glimmer of that ultimate truth um, that we're all searching for. Um, are you working on anything currently? Is there a continuation to the first piece? I've already finished uh, the first sequel. Um, it's it's available for people who want to subscribe to my uh, readers list on my website. Okay. Um, also uh, planning on publishing that uh, first sequel. It's a novella. It's short. And I'm all I'm currently revising the third book in the series, and uh, I have plans for books four and five, and that will probably tie up this particular series. But I think there will be more books. Um, in a kind of a, a series set in the same universe, but with uh, different characters. So plenty tremendous, of plans. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to finish my first book, and you're on your third. God bless you. That's wonderful. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> um, is there a message you'd like to leave for our listeners today on Come Receive the Light? Um, don't think that uh, fairy tales are for children. Um, they're actually more for adults. So if you, if you need uh, to have your world, uh, sort of the drabness of your world, sparked anew with the freshness of children's eyes, then I think you just need to open up a, a fairy tale and read it. and You'll come out and everything will look brighter and more beautiful again. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Nicholas, for being with us today. Uh, thank you, Father. It's been a pleasure. Some great advice as we end today's edition of Come Receive the Light from the Orthodox Christian Network. I'm Mike Trout. Thank you for uh, spending some of your precious time with us. If you'd like more information about the ministry, check out all the details on our website. Again, myocn.net. And if you'd like to listen to this uh, program again, you can do that when you go to the website and click on the Listen button on the homepage and then select CRTL or Come Receive the Light. Another reminder that uh, we are a nonprofit outreach and depend entirely upon contributions from listeners like yourself, people who want to join with us as we reach out around the world, taking a look at life and all that it has to offer through the lens of the Orthodox Christian faith. Our host is Father Christopher Metropolis. We'll all be back in just a few days with another edition of the broadcast. In the meantime, remember to always have faith in what you listen to. I see the world your way, and I'm not afraid to follow. I see the world your way, and I'm not ashamed to say so. I see the Jesus way, and I'm walking in the light.